Good morning. morning. Hey, praise the Lord for our worship team. Amen? And God, uh, such a blessing, such a blessing. Well, Happy New Year. I missed you guys. Uh, Thank you so much for praying for our family while we were away. Uh, It's been quite the adventure of faith and, uh, you know, overcoming fears. And I had some time to reflect just well, I had a lot of time to reflect because we were in quarantine with Becca, but uh, <laughs> just this past year, and, and, and God was really making me practice uh, what I've been preaching these past messages through the book of Hebrews, and just, you know, to trust the Lord, whatever may come, just to trust the Lord. And I, and I do know this much, it's, uh, it's easier to talk about it than it is to walk, walk it out, so. <laughs> but it was good, it's always good. Man, COVID continues to be the calendar bully. Um, I, I don't know if I can say I hate COVID, but I certainly despise it and all, uh, all the craziness it has brought. But uh, we trust that God is still on the throne and God is still in control. Uh, he knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing these things. And I think hopefully all of us can say, uh, you know, we haven't walked alone. God's been faithful and we'll continue to keep our eyes on the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I have a couple of things before we jump in. So some of it's a little bit of a personal prayer request. Uh, some of you know my daughter was able to get back to Japan just for a short period of time, which we're super grateful just for that gift of time. And we realized like, that, that is a very precious gift, uh, so we do not take that for granted. Um, but our, our adventures of faith for our family continue. So Becca actually is at the airport. Uh, she is super bummed that she wasn't able to come for service, uh, but it is what it is. So she's back on a plane, heading back to California uh, to finish out her senior year at college. And then today, later on this early evening, my son, Nehemiah, uh, it's his last Sunday with us for a little bit. And so if he owes you money, uh, today's the day to make sure you hit him up. But uh, he's getting on a plane with Christy, and uh, they're going to be heading to California as well. And he's going to be attending the Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta in Southern California. So our, our family covets your prayers. You can pray for me. I'm going to be alone with Ben for a couple of weeks. Uh, and so it's just a new season. Our family's launched three of our four kids now. And uh, so another new chapter, another new season. So thank you uh, for praying for us. Uh, a big, big thank you to our guest speakers. Hopefully uh, you're here. If you missed out, check the live stream. I, we got to watch. They were great messages. So two weeks ago, it was Chaplain Jason Owen, and it was just a really good word on Luke chapter 2, and gleaning uh, much about just the signs that we look for and the, the blessing to see Jesus. And then last week, if you're here, uh, John Hudson, who knocked it out of the park, he did such a great job. Uh, perfect timing, I think, just for the first message of the year of not worrying, of trusting the Lord. It was a great and timely message for our family, for sure. And then I just want to say a big thank you to our staff and leaders, and then many of you who I know hung out and helped out, especially with the soup potluck, getting all that ready. I heard I missed out on a great time, Um, but thank you guys so much. All right, I think that's it. Uh, Just uh, We're kind of gearing back up in our normal rhythms of ministry and midweeks. Uh, Next Wednesday, we have our, our prayer and worship night, and hopefully you'll be a part of that. Connect groups will be starting up again. We'll let you know just the different classes that we'll have available, and hopefully you can uh, be a part of that as well on Wednesday nights. 
But we're back in the book of Hebrews. And so if you have your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, we'd be happy <clears throat> excuse me, to loan you one. And you can just raise your hand high in the air, and the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible if you need. It's great to see your faces, and uh, I know there's actually a couple people who are new. Welcome this morning. We're blessed that you're here. Thank you for joining with us. We're going to be looking at verses, just two verses this morning, verse 30 and 31. I entitled our message, Faith That Overcomes, and I can already... Uh, tell you that it's going to be a two-part message. I outlined the whole thing, but just I uh, thought, man, uh, these two verses, just to get us back in the groove of Hebrews is a great place to um, just jump back in. So Hebrews 11, again, verses 30 and 31. If you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand as I read aloud these verses. You can follow along in your Bibles. The writer, of course, continuing on this theme of faith and by faith, has used that phrase over and over again. And now he writes, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And then he says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And that's it. We'll pause there. Uh, there's a lot contained in those two verses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for yet another beautiful Sunday morning here in Okinawa. And Lord, it's so often days like today that remind me of how your mercies are new every morning. Father, how you are the God of second and third and and 50th chances, Lord, we can never exceed your grace. And Lord, we're grateful that we can gather to be able to come into your house and to lift up your name as we lift up our voices and our hands and adoration and surrender of acknowledgement of your goodness, of your love, of your grandeur, of your majesty, Lord, of your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord. And Father, we pray now as we've read these verses, we trust, Lord, though they might be short, they are full. And they are packed with just great nourishment for our soul. Lord, as we look forward to 2022, that whatever may come our way, Lord, help us to look towards you, to keep our eyes upon you, Lord in times that are uncertain, that continue to be uncertain, that continue to be frustrating. Lord, we don't know what the next cycle will bring us, but Lord, we, we are certain of this. You are on the throne. We can know you, and you are good. And Lord, you are sure, and you are amen. And you give us an anchor of our heart and our soul of hope. We thank you for it. Father, I want to pray for Nehemiah this morning. I'm so grateful for his life and just all that he is and all that you have done in his life, Lord. So grateful for the many mentors, youth leaders, and just families that have poured into him and have become just a gift for our family. 
Lord, I just want to pray that you would bless him in every way. And Lord, even Becca, she's on, getting on the plane, that their travels would go well. And for others who will be heading back to you, I think Kiara and others, Lord, just we pray blessings upon our, our young people, especially in this world, Lord. May they be on fire for you. And Lord, just to go further and faster and, and deeper and wider than we ever had. And so we commit them to you and our time to you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, would you take a moment and say hello to someone, and then you can have a seat. So we are coming to the end of the hall uh, the hallway of the, of the hall of faith. You might remember that the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the person is, but we trust inspired by God's Spirit, began chapter 11 just in one verse, and he defined what faith was for us. He, he, he gave us uh, an, an explanation. But then, from there, for 39 verses after uh, he demonstrates what faith looks like. He gives examples of what he has just explained in people and and in circumstances. It, if you will, it's though the writer pulls out the yearbook of God's school of faith in the family. And the author takes us back to the earliest years, back to Genesis. And we looked along with his example, we considered the testimonies of these, of mostly better known graduates of the Old Testament. And, and we noted how they were highly esteemed as, as giants of the faith, the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Jewish nation. And yet, even through that, hopefully you remember, we were reminded that they were regular people, just like you and me that they had their flaws and they fought their flesh just like you do and I do. I imagine they, they yelled at their kids and they yelled at their dog and they, and they got upset when someone stole their cow. You know, just uh, they were regular people. And, and yet, by the grace of God, these regular people learned to trust God, learned to take him at his word, and by faith, then entrusted their lives, their families, their future, their, their situation to him. And it becomes an example for us. Now, the point the writer was making by pulling out the yearbook of faith, if you will, or walking us down this hallway of faith to the Hebrew audience was, was to encourage them, was to encourage them to remind them that living by faith was not some new idea that suddenly came on scene, that now that they have left their, their old religion, which had become legalistic and very ritualistic, and as they left their former ways now to follow Jesus in a fresh and dynamic, a, a living relationship, that Faith and following by faith wasn't now all of a sudden something new. But in fact, that faith had always been part of the equation. It had always been something that God wanted for his people to come to him 
by faith. And so it wasn't new. And he builds his case by reaching back into the Old Testament to demonstrate that. Then number two, now that they've come to faith in Christ, he wants to encourage them and remind them it's not easy. It didn't mean that now they became Christians that all of a sudden all of their problems would disappear just because they became Christians. But that the very fact that they would name the name of Christ by the very fact that they would say, we want to follow Jesus, would mean, as it means for many of us, as it has meant for you, that your family and your friends and the guys that you went to high school or college with, your community, like they will not understand and perhaps not even agree or approve. And in many cases, as it was for the Hebrews, the, these Christian Hebrews, that you know, their community and family were shunning them. They were experiencing the first century cancel culture. And it moved even beyond just shunning and unfriending. They, they were being persecuted. And so mixed in this encouragement for the reader was to remind them this isn't new. This is how God has wanted us to come to Him. This isn't going to be easy. But along that also was a, a, an exhortation. Because one of the things that we are tempted to do when it's not easy is we're tempted to quit. We're tempted to, to go back to the old life. And so there is this exhortation that's mixed in with the encouragement to not give up and don't go backwards. And there's these strong warnings that, that we've encountered along the way, kind of like these pylons or these, these pillars, if you will. Stronger words of caution, along with strong words of comfort. Hopefully you've come to realize both are needed for us in the Christian life. There are times where we need to be encouraged and spurred on to know, like, listen, it's okay. God's on the throne. He's not done with you. (laughs) We're works of grace. You're a trophy of God's grace. We're not perfect. We We yell at our spouses and our kids and we want to kick the cat and we get mad when someone steals our cow, right? And yet there are times too where we need to be exhorted. If you're like me, I'm prone towards laziness. I'm, I'm prone towards cynicism and skepticism. And so, excuse me, both are needed in the Christian life. Warnings are good for us. Be careful, the writer says, that we don't drift away from the Lord in laziness. Be careful that we don't downplay the Word of God by being tempted, especially in our culture today, by giving greater value to our feelings and our emotions and and, and that we begin to esteem experiences above what Scripture says. That's a very dangerous place for us to be. He would say, don't cheat yourself from from maturity, from growing in the things of the Lord. Don't settle for just drinking baby bottles of spiritual milk. God wants you to come to the 
to yakiniku with him. Spiritual carne asada that he has waiting for us. Remember the writer would say, hey, don't, don't jettison your faith when things get hard. Don't let go of that. In fact, he would say, let them become the cues for you and for me to press into the Lord that much more. Because life is hard. <laughs> life is hard. And so over and over again, he would tell us, keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't go back to the old life. Because though it can be hard, and though it can be rough, and though you can get sucker punched, what we have in Jesus is far greater, it is far superior than anything this life could ever offer you. Anything that your old life, this world, or religion could ever offer you. That Jesus is greater than anything. And if that is true, why waste our time on anything else? That's all by way of review. <laughs> Here in the closing verses of chapter 11, he brings us to these new pages of the yearbook of faith. And it reminds me of, of my high school yearbooks. You know, the senior class generally is showcased uh, and given more attention than the other classmen. Bigger pictures, a little bit more biographies. They are, if you will, at least for that particular year, the who's who of the school. And oftentimes they have these extra pictures that are part of, you know, the yearbook, right? They, you remember, I don't know if they still do it anymore, the, remember the the, the voted most likely, most likely to succeed, and there'll be this person's picture, or most likely to be on TV, or most likely to get married first, or maybe your picture was uh, most likely to be in jail. You know. <laughs> then when you got towards the back of the yearbook, you had the other classes, the lower classmen, they often had the smaller picture. Then it was the, the team sports, it was band, it was the homecoming picks, and then it was all the random clubs, whatever club might have been in at your school, right? the, the chess and math club, all those nerds. Today we call them boss, but you know. And so verse 30 and on is like that. It's like the back of the yearbook of faith. It's the quicker snapshots. It's some of these names that we would like, it's not the who's who, it's the who's he or who's she. And they're not necessarily the homecoming court of faith, but they're, they're more like the abacus club, you know, Sotoban. Right? But yet God worked in their lives too. And in many cases, God worked in amazing ways. And just as we can learn from the, if you will, the heavy hitters of faith, we can also learn from the lesser known personalities. Because what we discover is that it's God. It's God who has been faithful in all of these situations. It's God who has given a promise. And despite the circumstances, it's been God who has kept his word through it. And we'll discover that God wants us then to to trust Him, to cultivate a faith that can overcome whatever might come our way. And so for our time this morning, I'd like to 
walk through these two verses and we will unpack them together and make observations and, and dive a little bit deeper than what the writer gives us here. And, and, and hopefully, I pray, there'll be some great application for us. And then we'll tackle the rest next Sunday. So I draw your attention back to verse 30. We read, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Now the writer here brings us to not a person, but an event. And it's an event that's recorded in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 6. If you're not familiar with it, I'd like to encourage you and, and perhaps even challenge you to go back sometime this week and, and read through that chapter. It's, it's a very strange deal. I'll give you a quick recap. Again, you can go and read the details and I encourage you to do so. But at this time in history, Joshua has taken over for Moses. And God has commissioned him now to lead the children of Israel, this nation that has grown into the millions, who's come out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery. Now they're making their way to the promised land. But we've already learned, actually, even from Hebrews, that that first generation, though they saw God work in an amazing way, and though they were given the promises, they didn't mix them with faith. They didn't fully trust the Lord. And because of that, God then said, okay, well, I'm not going to allow you to come into the promised land. And we, again, talked about how it's through faith that we can appropriate the fullness of what God has for us. So often we cheat ourselves by not trusting the Lord. Well, this entire generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, they have passed away. And now Joshua is leading and he has crossed over the Jordan River after 40 years of them wandering around. And God had told Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what lies ahead. I'm going to be with you. And so you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be dismayed. Now we discover very quickly that even though God led them there, even though God promised everything to them, it sounded amazing, it was still going to be filled with challenges. Because the promised land, although it's flowing with milk and honey, is also filled with the enemy. Battles await them. Battles are coming. Even as they step into what God has promised them, Church family, man, what a great picture, reminder for us. How many of you know that God has promised you victory? Oh, man, I hope your hands, all of our hands will go up, right? Okay, well, three of us. All right, the rest of you, I promise. God. And how many of us know that even in that promise, there are still battles that are coming this year? I pray that 2022 is the year we see COVID go away. I pray. But I, I also want to be prepared. Right? We, we need to be geared up and, and prayed up and, and ready for whatever might come our way. The first place that Joshua and the guys go as they cross over, well, guess what? They're going to go into battle. 
but it's not going to be exactly how maybe they were thinking. So, because the very first place they go, it's, they go to Jericho. And Joshua 6 tells us that Jericho was securely fortified. It was securely shut up. Meaning that it was well protected. And we realize that we read that it had high walls, so the security walls, the security forces. They had a formidable army. Nobody's getting into that place. It's like the the Fort Knox or that place that has all the seeds. I forget where it's at. It's like Norway. Norway thank you. Or, or maybe a local example, trying to get a reservation at the Greek kitchen. It ain't happening. You can't get in, right? But God tells Joshua, my paraphrase, bro, check it out. I've given Jericho into your hands. It's king and all of its mighty men of valor. Now let's put ourselves in Joshua's flip-flops or his sandals for a second. Can you imagine hearing that from the Lord? I'm giving this nation, to, I'm going to give this city to you. Yes! Victory is secured. We can go place bets and it's going to be a sure thing. And, and of course, remember that Joshua at this time, he is a combat veteran. In fact, even the language that's describing how the children of Israel came through the wilderness, he, it's, the, it's the Lord's armies and the way that they would encamp. And, and Joshua was a military leader. By this time in his day, uh, if it existed, he would have a, a chest full of ribbons. He would have some awards. He was a fierce warrior. He's a brilliant strategist, tactician. I mean, this is the guy that you want to lead you into battle. And so on top of that, now you have God telling him victory is guaranteed. And so I imagine Joshua, who's a military guy, it's like, all right, Lord, what's the battle plan? Let's lay it out. What's our battle doctrine here? And here's what God tells him. All right, this is what you're going to do. Gather everybody, gather the army, grab the priests, get the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you for six days, once a day, grab all the guys, get the ram's horn, and march around the city one time. Don't say anything. Imagine Joshua's like, okay, and then? And then go home. <laughs> After day one, and then day two, day three, do the same thing. Grab everybody, load up, don't say a word, just walk around the city, and then go back to camp. And then on day seven, Imagine Joshua, in my mind, like, yes, finally. God says, do it seven times. But this time, here's the change. Have the priests blow their trumpets, and when they do, have everybody yell. Start shouting. 
and then the walls will fall down. That's it. That is the battle end. Right? From an earthly perspective, you'd say, what kind of war tactic is that? That is ridiculous. It makes no sense. I mean, some of you, right, you are in the military. Imagine if the general come, came to you, proposed this, your first campaign, going to battle. Oh, I just want you to walk around this place and don't say anything. You think, that guy, that's craziness. In one sense, it is. It makes no sense. It makes no earthly sense. Yet this is exactly what God told Joshua to do, and you can read it in Joshua chapter 6, and it's exactly what Joshua told the guys, and guess what? It's exactly what they did. And even beyond that, guess what? Well, you know, it worked. Imagine that. It worked exactly like God said it was going to. There are a number of great lessons that we can glean from that experience. And I, time doesn't permit me, and one of my resolutions is to beat the bell and get you out of here on time. But I can't unpack them all, but I'm going to share a couple with you. Obviously, I would say that I'm going to state the obvious. God wants us to trust Him and to trust Him at His word. And I'll add this qualifier, even when it doesn't seem to make any earthly sense. Even when you're looking at the plan and you're looking at the process and you're like, I would not choose this. I would not do this. Or even when we question, how is this going to produce what you have promised me? Gang, we can trust not only the promise of God, but you can trust the process that God brings you to. It may not make sense. It may not be the one that you would choose for yourself. It may not be one that anyone else would ever advise you to do. But if the Lord is leading you, guess what? You can bank on it. Victory was promised, but it wasn't going to come by their strategy or their tactics. Though Joshua was well qualified, it wasn't going to come by brawn or by, by, by might. Not this time. It was going to come simply by obedience to God's way. And I think it's significant that it be, it's the first battle. It sets the precedent. And, and I imagine, at least again, if I'm Joshua, if I'm one of those guys, God's way was slower than what I think I would have wanted. And I imagine it, it required restraint from them. From shouting, from making some kind of noise. It required restraint from what we might say was their default, their norm, their character, what they've been trained for, what they were used to. Maybe their norm was just to attack the problem. Be the aggressor. And yet, in this scenario, God says, you have to be patient. 
You have to be persistent. You have to trust the process. Wait on me and what I'm doing, and yes, you can't see it. But trust God as he has prescribed. I, I, I wonder if that's a word for you this morning. That what the Lord has you doing right now is not what you have chosen. It's not the pathway. It's not the process. It's not how you thought that you were going to get to where God's bringing you. You know, centuries later from this event, God would give the prophet Zechariah a strange dream. And in this dream, he, he sees these these candlesticks, the golden candlesticks. He sees these olive trees. He sees this weird contraption of the, these bowls that kind of stretch up to where the olives are. And, and the olive trees are just dripping oil. It's this constant fuel for the, so the candlesticks. And the Lord engages Zechariah in his dream. And he says, do you know what you're seeing? And Zechariah can describe it. He says, yeah, I see the trees and I see this candlestick. He's like, but I have no idea what it means. I don't know, maybe I ate some bad falafel. This is pretty bizarre. He doesn't say that. That's just my paraphrase. But God tells him, Zechariah, the way that I'm going to accomplish what I've called you to do what I've given to Zerubbabel, who was the leader at the time, it's not going to be relying upon you figuring it out. And he gives them this great verse, this great word, Zechariah 4.6. It's not going to be by power or might. And the idea is it's not by your power or your might, and if I can amplify it, by your ingenuity, by your skill set. Well, God uses those things at times, but it's not going to be relying upon you, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The secured high walls of Jericho, they didn't come down because of some great military um, attack. It wasn't ramparts they built or a battering ram they constructed. It didn't come down by man's power. It, it came down by trusting God's process. And again, guess what? The Lord brings us to walls like that in our life too. What wall have you come to? What insurmountable obstacle has God brought to you this way, this year? Or maybe this is a message that you're going to put in your pocket and it's going to be activated next month or this summer. Or perhaps, again, we can, there's a lot of lessons here. Maybe there's a stronghold in your life and you have been attacking it on your own strength. You have been trying to engage it and strategize and you're losing sleep at night trying to figure it out how you're going to get over or through this thing. And God would say to you, you need to change your strategy. Take a walk and pray. 
take a walk and, and, and trust me, resist the urge to go out swinging. But just be patient. And God would say to you that he's working these things. You can't see it. Something's happening on the inside. But trust the Lord. God's way of disarming and bringing down what stands in your way or, or a stronghold in your life. And maybe you'd say, that's silly, that's stupid. I... Listen, we're in good company. I'll give you another example. Do you guys know the account of the Syrian general by the name of Naaman? His story is found in 2 Kings 5. If you don't know his story, you're going to add to your Joshua 6 assignment. Okay? 2 Kings 5. And it's interesting because he's a Syrian. He's, if you will, one of the enemy nations against Israel. And yet, he has this servant girl who is enslaved, and she happens to be Israeli. But he, the indication is he, he treated her pretty well, and Naaman, this general, gets leprosy. So he gets this disease. And then the servant girl says to him, you know what? There's this guy who's a prophet and words spreading where he can do miracles. And so maybe you can go to him and, and ask if he would heal you. The prophet Elisha. And so the general's like, all right, I'll do that. Took the advice of this little girl, and he gets this big gift, and he brings it out to Elisha, and he comes out, and, he, and he's hoping that he's going to be healed. And so he comes to Elisha's place, and, and Elisha doesn't even come out. Elisha just kind of sends this entourage to go and greet him, and, and he's a little bit put off by that. And the entourage tells him, well, here's what Elisha said. Yeah, you're good. Go to the, to the Jordan River and just dunk yourself seven times and you're going to be all good, bro. And when the general hears it, he's insulted. He's angered. And he says, my paraphrase again, like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's it? I'm going to go to this dirty river? And he's like, I got better rivers back home. I'm going to go to this place. And he, and, he, and he begins to basically storm off. Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Go just dunk seven times. And, and yet the guys around him are like, hey. They, they convince him. Maybe there's something there. After all, he's the prophet and and so Naaman says, all right. And so this man of power and prestige and influence, he humbles himself and he goes and he dips seven times in the Jordan. And guess what? He's healed. And the Bible says that his, his skin was as smooth as a, as a baby's bum bum. No, it doesn't say that. Smooth like a young man's skin Guys, we read this account, the walls of Jericho fell down, it just seems like words on a page. And yet there's so much there. 
of what God was wanting to do and trusting the process. And, 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 and for me, again, I get convicted by it because maybe you're like me and you know what happens? It can be oftentimes it's my pride over the simplicity of what God has told me to do or what the Scripture says. And it's our pride that gets in the way of us experiencing victory or experiencing healing or reconciliation or in some cases even just coming to faith in the first place. It's our pride. We think that is below me. That is so, that's silly. And yet these become reminders for all of us to trust the Lord and trust His Word by faith, even when it doesn't make complete sense to us. Even when it seems like I'm not affecting anything by just praying. Oh no, yes you are. You can't see it, but it is a spiritual work. How's it possibly going to happen? How's this possibly going to have a breakthrough? Well, God is at work. Gang, don't, don't let, let, let's not let our, I include myself, let our pride keep us from God's blessings. Over and over again, the scripture says how God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, he exalts the humble. And so verse 30 reminds us of that. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab, some of your translations might even say the prostitute. Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. It just gives us this kind of quick little highlight. She received the spies with peace. So once again, there's this account that the writer gives us from the Old Testament. And if you're not familiar with it, it's going to seem a little strange. You know, for me, as I read it, it just becomes yet another proof text to me that the Holy Spirit has inspired the Scriptures. And it wasn't just the work of man making stuff up. Because if you're going to talk about great examples of, of valiant overcoming faith in your family and in your uh, history, I would imagine you're going to stay away from scandalous things. I don't know that you're going to highlight a harlot. Right? There's, so, there's many other uh, options you can choose. And so as an aside to me, just further proof that this isn't just the work of man. This is a spiritual book. And here it is. The harlot Rahab as an example of faith that overcomes. Her testimony, her story is another that's found in the book of Joshua. And guess what? It actually involves Jericho again. But it, but it precedes what happened in Jericho. You go back to chapter, I think it's chapter 1. It's before the silent march. Joshua sends two guys to uh, do a recon, go spy out the land. And as they're going to do this, the king of Jericho gets intel that Joshua sent out these two guys. And so he says, all right, I'm going to send out my counter spies. And so 
he sends out a detachment to go find these two spies. And so out goes his army, and they're going to go look for these guys. And they get word that, uh, they, that they end up perhaps at Rahab's place. And so they go to Rahab. And they bang on her door, and they're like, hey, where are these guys? Now Rahab at that point has a decision to make. Is she going to turn the spies over or not? Now the account goes on to say, well, we realize she decides that she's not. She hides them. She hides them from uh, you know, the Jericho king, his authorities, his guys, and he tells the spies that she's hiding. She says this in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given the land to you. And we have heard great things that God has done. And we believe it. We've heard and we believe. And she makes this testimony that He, your God, is the true God in heaven and we believe in Him. Joshua 2, 9-10. through 10. She makes this proclamation of faith by the things that she's heard. And it prompts her then to take action. Her very life because of what she believes. And she says, okay, I'm going to hide you. I'm going to risk my neck and my family for you because I believe what I'm hearing. And then she adds this, but you need to remember me that when you come back and God gives you this land, don't forget me and don't forget my family. And so they agree. They say, okay, we'll do it. And they make this deal where they say, when we come back through, you put this scarlet cord in your window so that when we see it, we'll know you're going to be free from destruction. And we will rescue you out from there. King Rahab took a huge risk. She could have been arrested. I, I think at worst she would have you know, been killed. She takes a risk. Perhaps those guys would forget. They'd forget the promise that they made to her, just like the guys forgot Joseph. Remember that? And so Rahab's story reminds us that the work of God, His grace, and the gift of faith, as she says, we have heard and we believe, guess what? It's available to anyone who believes upon the Lord. Rahab isn't Jewish. She's not part of the nation of Israel. And obviously, she has a scandalous past. If she were to come and share her testimony, we would blush We'd send the kids to children's ministry for the day. And yet her story is the story of the gospel. As so many have noted, the imagery of that scarlet cord or that thread, that 
you know, fabric being let out her window, it's a symbol of the blood of Christ. It, it's a, you know, it flashes back to the, the, the time of Passover where they apply the, the blood, the scarlet blood of the lamb upon their doorpost and how they were saved as a result of that act of faith and obedience. Perhaps you've heard it said there's a scarlet thread of the gospel even throughout the entire scriptures. And the imagery comes from this, and I, and I think it absolutely speaks to that. That it absolutely speaks to the good news of the gospel. That regardless of, our, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, that God wants to save you, and that God can save us by faith when we come to Him but it has to be by faith. We're not saved by our, just because our family grew up in church. Like Rahab, we need to hear and we need to believe. When we act upon that belief. We repent from our sin. We receive then Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. See, it's the good news of the gospel that that. Re- you know, doesn't matter what choice you've ever made. No darkness you've ever lived in. No shame or scars that you carry or you created. No amount of drinks or drugs or damage that you've brought into your body. None of that can keep us from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Our past deeds... They don't earn us God's forgiveness. And guess what? They don't keep you away from it either. The Bible gives us this beautiful truth that every, when we come to Christ, everything, all the old stuff, it is gone. We're a new creation in the Lord. And not only Rahab was Rahab saved by faith, if you will, but her story of faith continues. She did not perish. She gets saved. Unlike those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. By her act of faith, she also saved the spies, if you will. It impacted others. And again, it reminds us that God not only can save anyone, if you will, right? But God, when we trust the Lord, God can use anyone. Even if we have a past, if you will. Even if we were to come in and you share your testimony and the rest of us would be like, whoa, that's scandalous. It would make the rest of us blush. And I, here's the thing. I think we know, right, doctrinally, theologically, God can save anyone with a past, but But so often when it works out practically, we get stuck with this part, believing that God can use anyone with a past like us. Can I encourage you? Let the testimony of Rahab, her story, convince you that despite what you've done, despite who you once were, whatever your record was, God used her in a mighty way. 
Again, in the first battle to conquer the promised land, God used Rahab not only to save the spies, but he saved her family. The impact that that would have upon people around her, and we've talked about that before. But I wonder, though, I wonder what personal doubts that you allow to come into your heart and mind. I wonder what, what whispers of the enemy that you begin to entertain that, that keeps you away from grabbing a hold of what God has for you. In love, can I challenge you this year? That this year, make this year completely different? That you would, like Paul, right, forget those things that are behind and orient yourself for that we would press for, that we would move upward and onward to the upward call of Jesus Christ and the prize that God has for us in that? Oh, our past can define us. It, it shapes who we are. But God is not, that's what I want to say, restricted. <laughs> not limited, and yet we limit ourselves. And the enemy loves to throw that in our face. To bring up what happened years ago or months ago or even last week to think that, oh, because of that, now you're disqualified. Gang, do not give enemy ground or place that Jesus has purchased and redeemed you from. See, by faith, we can trust that God will redeem our past and, and if you will, reframe or redefine your future. When I was a younger man, my, some of you guys, I've shared this before, you know, my actions almost cost my dad on more than one occasion a stripe. He was in the Air Force, actually at AWACS. <laughs> I grew up here. And in my middle school and high school years, I, I, I made some bad choices. And I hung around with the wrong crowd. And I got caught a couple times and had to go see my dad's commander a couple times. And one of the things that my hoodlum friends and I would do is on, on occasion, we would break into cars. And on occasion, where people would leave their keys, just like in the movies, up in the visor or in the center console, we, we would take those cars for a little joyride. But not too far, because it's Okinawa. You can't, you know, where are you going to go? Right? And so we would, we would, do, we would, yeah, we would do these things. Not good. And I'm not proud of it, but I had gotten pretty skilled at breaking in with a wire hanger with a really flat metal ruler to unlock doors. And I share that because Fast forward many years after, a couple of years ago, there was a family at church who had accidentally locked their keys in the car. And I had shared this story before. And the wife and the kids and the husband was deployed at the time. She remembered, so she came and she's like, hey, I need your help. I'm like, what happened? I locked my keys in the car. I was like, yes. Here I come. And 
it was an older Honda, so right when I saw it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. <laughs> and so, by God's grace, I opened the door with a wire hanger. Got her keys, and it was awesome. Now, some of you know, I, I, I prepare my notes for my messages by Friday afternoon because i got to get them to the translator for translation. So my notes were completely done. What's not in my notes, I'm going to share this now, is that Friday night, we had a small gathering for Nehemiah is going away, and Maki locks her keys in the car. And she comes in, and Janoa's like, hey, I heard that you can break in the car. I'm like, I just put this in my sermon notes. I'm going to have a new illustration. And so we got a wire hanger and went out to her car, and I couldn't break in. <laughs> I'm too sanctified now. <laughs> but there are some other guys who are like, hey, let me try. And they broke in. I'm like, look at that, other hoodlums. Other brothers with a past God's used. Gang, God will redeem our stupidity. And, and we can even use it for good. You fast forward years later in Rahab's life from this event, from who she used to be, and some of you know this, right? She is, she has a, a family and she has a, a boy and his name is Boaz. And Boaz is a good guy. And he grows up and God has blessed him with much and he ends up showing this extraordinary kindness to yet another non-Jewish girl, a Moabite girl by the name of Ruth. And they end up getting married. And together they end up having a baby by the name of Obed, who then has a family of his own, and he has a son by the name of Jesse. And Jesse, they have a big family. And his youngest is... the a boy by the name of David. Rahab, the harlot Rahab, is in, becomes King David's great-grandmother. And I imagine you know the rest, right? Her, her name is then listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew for us. And if you ever doubt that God can use you. If you ever doubt that by faith we can overcome the current obstacles that are in our way, or by faith that we can overcome our past, what used to define us, what we used to do, and where we used to be, go, or what we used to be. Listen, the genealogy of Jesus Christ demonstrates how God loves to redeem and restore and redefine your future. And so by faith, guess what? You and I, we too can overcome. But it means that we're going to have to trust God's processes at times where it may not make sense to you. It means that we're going to have to not allow our pride to get in the way of what God is leading you to do. It means then embracing that regardless of your past, to know that even today, God wants to save you. 
if you have yet to name the name of Jesus Christ, to confess him as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Today is the day that you can. That regardless of our past, God wants to use you. Our imperfect selves. And in fact, he loves to take those things and redeem them and use them even for his glory. And so, that's the word of the Lord for us this morning. It's 10 o'clock, let me pray. Oh, I got three minutes according to my watch. Father, thank you. We thank you for your word and just how rich the scriptures are. That sometimes we read these things and it can seem just like words on a page. It's like the back of the yearbook. We don't give a lot of attention to it so often and yet there are great things there for us. Lord, I, I pray that you might grant us the gift of faith that overcomes. And some of us, Lord, we're facing some walls in our lives, some strongholds in our life. And perhaps, God, you're telling us we need to change strategy. It's not going to be overcome by just our pure brawn or our headstrongness. We're us figuring it out, our ability to be strategists or tacticians. But Lord, that we would trust you, that we would just take a walk and pray and praise and, and allow you to do what you want to do, God. Father, I pray that we wouldn't allow pride to keep us from that. Even if it seems silly or simple, Lord, help us to release those things to you. And forgive us, Lord, for the sin of pride, of thinking we know better. And God, we thank you for the beautiful picture of the gospel displayed in the life of, of, of Rahab the harlot. That regardless of our past, Lord, you desire to save us. That all of us can be trophies of your grace. And today, even as we're praying, I pray there's anybody even right now that's here, that's listening, watching online, that they would know, Lord, that, that you love them and that you sent Jesus to, to live and to die for their sins and their life, that they might receive you by faith and be saved as they hear and they believe. And Father, thank you that regardless of our past, Lord, you desire to use our lives. May we not become the ones that limit ourselves. But Lord, to respond to your call and your grace. You're the great redeemer. You're the great restorer. And we look forward to this year and all that you want to do. And we ask and pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.